So before we get into uh, what we're talking about tonight, I just wanted to quickly recap, uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, some of the things that we talked about and um, kind of the biggest thing that we talked about is some of the changes that are taking place to our staff here this next year. Um, and I wanted you to be aware of that if you weren't here last week. So the biggest change is that I'm no longer the only pastor here. Uh, which is a great thing. Uh, Nikki Joe is now our community and uh, family pastor, as well as Matt is now our worship and youth pastor. Uh, Matt was the guy who was singing right here. Um, Nikki Joe, uh, you already know, I'm sure, and if you don't, you will by the time things are over tonight. Um, Marshall, the guy who's playing bass over here, uh, is our music director, and uh, he has been in that role for several years now. Um, I've been very grateful for him. Um, before Marshall came along, uh, I was still running music, and there was this period of time where I was running music and doing the job I'm doing now, and uh, that was just a lot in general, and it was way too much of me <laughs> on any given Tuesday. Um, and Marshall is just really, uh, in a very tumultuous time in our church, he has uh, held things together and even moved things forward with the music at Tino, which is a high value for us, music around here. Um, so I'm just really grateful for him and his efforts. And he's staying around and he's staying in his role. And so we're excited to keep him on board. Uh, we hired a new elementary teacher. Uh, her name is Cassie Howard. You might have seen her up here in the front with the kids. Uh, this is her third week and she's already doing an incredible job. Um, and then uh, Miss Lindy and Miss Debbie are still our uh, elementary or our primary and nursery teachers, respectively. If you get a chance and you see them, if you have kids that are in one of their classes or you don't, if you see either Miss Lindy or Miss Debbie, please just tell them thank you. They've been working so hard this year to make Tuesday nights meaningful and fun for our littlest members, and they've been doing an incredible job. And uh, I made the mistake of not shouting them out last week, so I wanted to fix that right at the top. All right. That's all from last week. Tonight, I get to talk about one of my favorite stories, um, a story that you're probably familiar with. This is a story about uh, magi, about Christ and stars. It is the central story to the season of Epiphany that we find ourselves in, and uh, it's like it was handpicked for me to love because it's, it's a story about a bunch of guys finding God through the stars. I mean, come on, like I'm, I'm so in on this. Uh, the term epiphany means to show or to make known or even to reveal. Epiphany is a season of the church calendar that remembers the coming of the Magi bringing gifts to the child Jesus. Uh, these Magi were the first Gentiles, the first non-Jewish people to acknowledge Jesus as king. And so they were the first to show or reveal Jesus to a wider world as the incarnate Christ. Um, this act of worship by the Magi that we're going to be looking at was one of the first indications that Jesus came for all people, of all nations, of all races, and that the work of God in the world was not going to be limited to just a few or just one country or ethnic group. Uh, you've heard the story of the Magi before. Uh, you, you've probably heard it called something else, uh, the three wise men, the three kings. Um, they're often shown in nativity scenes as being at the manger with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds as Jesus is born. Uh, but that isn't how it went down. Uh, these guys are not there that night. Um, I don't exactly know how they wound up being depicted as being there that night. They show up later, as much as two years later. Uh, we're not told how many of them there are, even though there's all this tradition about the, around there being three wise men or three kings. Uh, they're, they're not called kings. They're not called wise men. 
Uh, so many of the popular understandings of this story are inferences that have been made over the years. Um, but so many of the details of the story that most people think of aren't, aren't in the story at all, which is so interesting. But there are so many interesting details in this story that get, often get overlooked um, and conflated with the birth narrative. So I'm going to read through the story for you tonight. I'm going to stop talking about it and just read it to you. Um, and as I read it, I want you to be curious about what's going on here. Um, what stands out as odd? What questions do you have as you hear this story unfold? Uh, I really want you to concentrate on the story and all of its details. So uh, as usual, I'm not going to have it up on the screens for you to read um, when I want you to really pay attention, ironically. Um, just close your eyes if that helps. Get comfortable. Take a deep breath. Um, I just want you to listen and, and just think about what stands out. What, what's a question that you have when you hear this story? So this is Matthew, 12, uh, no, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And it goes like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, after Jesus was born, not the night of, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was during King Herod's kingship, a band of magi arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to worship him. When word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him Bethlehem in Judah territory. The prophet Micah talked about it plainly, writing, it's you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the Magi from the east. Pretending to be as devout as they were, he got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, go find this child. Leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word and I'll join you at once in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star that they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. They opened their luggage and presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod. So they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country. All right, so there are so many details, little details in the story that catch my attention. I have questions like, what does that mean? Or, or why is that important? Why is that included in this story? Um, we're not going to cover everything tonight, uh, but hopefully something caught your attention. And if I don't address it, I would love to get together with you and talk about it because uh, I love this stuff. So I'm happy to talk about it anytime. Uh, so the first question that we're going to talk about is, is why is Herod terrified? And why is most of Jerusalem terrified when they find out that's, that these travelers are asking about where the newborn king of the Jews is? And the reason for this is there's a couple different theories, but... Um, there were a number of uprisings that occurred when someone claimed to be the Messiah and the newborn king of the Jews. Uh, particularly, too, there was one right before Jesus was born and right after Jesus was born that ended 
very violently, uh, where Herod and then eventually Rome had to come in and put down this rebellion that grew around someone claiming to be the Messiah. Uh, that resulted in tens of thousands of people dying and cities being burned to the ground. So if that's just happened, and then these guys show up and they're like, hey, <laughs> where's the king of the Jews that was just born? You can understand why that would make some people uneasy. It's like, here we go again. Is this really happening again? Uh, the idea of Jerusalem being included in that is sort of uh, probably the idea of the elite of Israel. Um, so Herod and the elite, those in power, uh, when they hear that someone is looking for one of these leaders again, they start to get afraid because bad things have happened when this has happened before. Uh, another question that's really common when we read this story is what is with these gifts that the wise men present. I think the reason why we think there's three wise men is because there's three different gifts, but again, that's not a detail that was in the story. So why did they bring these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Gold is kind of obvious because gold is just gold. It's insanely valuable. It still is today. Uh, it is a gift for a king. It's a gift that you give to a king, and it's associated, in the, in the ancient Near East, gold was associated with the divine. So it's sort of the symbol of Jesus being both, a divine and the king. Frankincense um, is a resin that's used to make incense, um, which is used in worship ceremonies by priests. So it's the stuff that you can do some process to that removes the frank and just leaves incense, which I don't understand at all, um, but that's what that is about. It's, it's something that you use to make stuff that you use in temple worship. And then myrrh, which is a word that... Uh, Looks crazy. It's only five letters, and I never can spell it right. M-Y-R-R-H. Uh, this is anointing oil that the high priest would use to anoint a king. So all these gifts have divine overtones to them, and they're all things that you would give to a king or a priest for a king. And they symbolize Jesus being the divinely appointed high, king, or high priest and king in one. That's what's going on with the gifts. What I want to explore tonight is, is pretty simple, but maybe at the top of your mind, um, certainly at the top of my mind when I read this story, is who on earth are these magi? And what's with them following a star across the Middle East that they somehow knew was leading them to find Jesus? It, uh, we just don't get any information about them, and it doesn't seem to make any sense why they just suddenly would follow a star to a different country to find a child to worship as king. So the Greek word used here that we translate as magi uh, basically means sorcerers or priests. It's, it's, the word where we, it's the same word that we get our word for magic and magician from. Uh, in the context of our story, it refers to Persian soothsayers and astrologers and sorcerers. Uh, these guys are priests of a religion called Zoroastrianism. Uh, Zoroastrianism is one of the oldest religions in history. Uh, and it's still practiced in many parts of Iran, which is modern-day Persia. Zoroastrianism was the precursor to Islam, and it was the official religion of Persia um, at the time of Jesus' birth. So these are literally star-worshipping priests from a different country following a different religion. Like the last people that you would expect to show up and, and know who Jesus is and be searching for him so that they could worship him and bring him these insanely valuable gifts. Um, so Zoroastrianism is based on the writings of the prophet Zoroaster, which makes sense. Um, this was someone who believed, uh, people believed that he had been uh, born to a 15-year-old Persian virgin, 
sounds familiar. Like Jesus, he also started uh, a ministry at the age of 30 or somewhere around there um, after he supposedly defeated all of Satan's temptations. It's a very similar story. Zoroaster predicted that uh, other virgins would conceive additionally divinely appointed prophets as history unfolded. And these Zoroastrian priests, like our magi, believed that they could foretell these miraculous births by reading the stars. So, though in very different ways, like the Jews, Zoroastrian, these Zoroastrian priests were also um, anticipating and watching and waiting for the birth of the true savior. And it's this group of astrologers and star worshipers who God chooses to draw near to himself. God uses their religion that, that really has little to do with him to draw him to draw them to him. It's these completely non-Jewish pagans who realize who Jesus is before most of his people ever do. Um, it's these members of a completely different nation and religion who God speaks to in ways that they can understand through their worship of the stars and their Zoroastrian scriptures to lead them to himself. God is so determined to proclaim the good news of great joy for all people that he reaches out to the least likely pagan horoscope writers to proclaim the advent of Christ and salvation to the whole world. So this story, in this story, the people who you would expect to be outside of God's plans are at the center of them, while the people that we'd expect to be at the center of God's plans are actively moving to thwart them, like Herod. We see through these Zoroastrian priests worshiping Jesus that Christ is not just salvation for the people of Israel, but for all people, even these magi, these people who, by all Jewish accounts, get it completely wrong. In this story, they get it absolutely right. While the Jewish king and the Jewish priests and the Jewish scholars all get it wrong. I don't know that I can like, overstate how like, completely, completely backwards this is. Tucked away at the beginning of Matthew's gospel is this little story about God revealing himself to the wrong people people who don't follow him, people who, who worship false gods. And he does so through the wrong scriptures, through the wrong religion. I feel like that doesn't really get talked about. It feels dangerous, but it also is really good news to me uh, because I often feel like I have to be right. I have to believe the right things. I, I have to have the right thoughts. I have, the right, have to have the right theology about God in order to not miss him showing up. How often do we feel like we have to first get right? Like we have to first start doing the right things before God will move closer to us. God doesn't seem too worried about us having it right. He doesn't seem too worried about perfect theology. He definitely isn't interested in who's in and who's out. God seems more inclined toward love in trying to help us see that whoever we are, he is for us. God meets us where we're at. God speaks through what we can understand, even if it's wrong. He isn't going to force us into a relationship with him, but God seems willing to work through just about anything to draw us to himself. If we're, we're um, willing to be curious and open-handed and courageous enough to follow where we see glimpses of the light of the world. This story is also good news because it shows that that. It shows that God is after all of us, but it also shows that God is willing to use anything to reach people. If God can use the beliefs uh, and scriptures of a religion that has little to do with him to reach 
people, then he can certainly use flawed human beings like you and I. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to be perfect in our understandings or or representations of Christ. Really, all we have to do is be willing to pursue and reflect the light of the world. That sounds really good, right? But how do, we, how do we actually do that? And how do we do that together? Um, I think this idea of pursuing light and spreading light feels really hard during this time of year. It certainly has for me the past few weeks and days because it's been just so cloudy and dark and cold. Um, and I think that this season happens during, uh, this season of epiphany happens when we're in a literal season of darkness and cold. This, this season of intentionally pursuing light happens in our darkest season for a reason. I think we, when we think about how can we pursue light together, how can we reflect the light of the world, we tend to make this really complicated and overwhelming and this like, huge thing that we need to be doing to show God to other people. But in this season, um, these first few months of the year, when it's dark and cold, the smallest, simplest nudges toward the light means so much. So I think the question is, how can you extend light and warmth to someone in your life? How can you spread comfort and joy to others in your life right now? I think that's how we reflect the light of the world. That's how we reflect Christ in this season that we're in. And it can be through small, simple ways. Write a note to someone. One of you uh, wrote me a letter for Christmas, and um, it, it is the greatest thing that I think um, anyone, huh, I'm trying to think of how to say this, it is the kindest, most thoughtful thing that uh, anyone who isn't my wife has done for me. Uh, and I have read it over and over and over again since I first got it because it continually encourages me and it brings me back to light. But that's a, sim- that's a simple thing, right? That's something that we could all do for someone. Write a note to someone about what you're grateful for about them. It meant the world to me. Uh, you can do other simple things like, like um, light a candle every night and, and remember what you're grateful for. Get candles for the people around you and pass them out and, and tell them that what you're doing is lighting a candle every night and that you would love it if they did that with you wherever they happen to be. Help guard against isolation. Get people over. Invite them out. Use what you have to spread light and warmth. Um, and so you know that I'm not uh, just telling you that I want you to do these things and not doing them myself. I'm going to practice what I preach. And so um, what I'm about to tell you is so on the nose with the story of the Magi, but I don't care. I love it. Uh, it's no secret around here that you're probably sick of hearing about it. The night sky and staring up into space and learning about the, the mysteries of the universe brings me a lot of joy. And it's one of the ways that I feel closest to God. So much so that last year, Michaela and my family uh, did something amazing for me, and they bought me this big old telescope uh, for my birthday. And um, a few of you have asked, like, hey, next time you get that out, would you let me know so I can come over and like enjoy it with you? And I always say yes, and I always have the best of intentions, but I never like plan when I'm going to get it out. So uh, like as soon as I'm putting it away, Michaela's like, hey, remember that so-and-so said next time you get that out, you should invite them over? I'm like, yeah, well, 
It's a little late for that, isn't it? Um, so I never remember is what I'm trying to get at. But that's not the important part of the story, so it doesn't matter. It just so happens that some of you are interested in this, and it also happens that the winter sky is the best for stargazing. I don't know why it seems counterintuitive, but the, the best stars to look at in the northern hemisphere are you can only see in the winter. So Saturday, this is what I've been getting at. Saturday, February 4th, starting at 7 p.m., you are all invited to our house. We'll have warm drinks. We'll have adult versions and uh, non-adult versions. Uh, I'll have the telescope out. We can look at the moon. If you've never seen the moon through a telescope with your own eyes, if you've only seen pictures of the moon up close, that in its, of itself is worth it. It's, a, it's incredible. Uh, there should be a couple of planets out at the very least. We, we should be able to see Mars. Uh, we'll, we can look at a couple different amazing stars, um, just kind of whatever we can see from my backyard. There is a lot of light pollution, but you can still see some amazing things. And we can wonder at the insanity of creation together. So, come hang out with me. If you're interested in that, please register um, and dress warm because it's going to be cold. Uh, hopefully the weather behaves and the sky is clear, but even if it's not, we'll still hang out um, inside probably, but still with warm drinks. Uh, this is a small thing, right? This is a small thing that I can do to bring people together this season and, and share something that brings me joy and, and brings me comfort. Sometimes it scares the living daylights out of me, to be honest with you. So I don't know if there's a lot of comfort, but there is a lot of joy. And it does bring me closer to God. It scares, it scares me in a very, like, God is so big kind of way, which I would love for you to experience along with me. Uh, it's a really simple and tangible way to pursue light and warmth this season. So what's something, what's something that you could do? Other than coming to Cider and Stars, obviously. Which, by the way, isn't that just the most genius name you've ever heard of? Just literally what we're going to do is what I titled the event. I'm really good at this. What could you do? So to recap, I want you to be encouraged. God is after all of us. Every single person God is pursuing. I want you to be curious and open-handed. God might just be speaking to you through the last things, the last person that you would ever expect. The most unlikely people you may hear the voice of God through. Be curious and open-handed about that. Don't be quick to write people off. Be challenged. God can and will use anything, even flawed humans like you and me. Be encouraged, be curious, and be challenged. Let's pursue and reflect the light of the world together this season. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this uh, small little dangerous story at the beginning of Matthew. God, thank you for the beautiful ways that you um, destroy our expectations and destroy the boundaries that we've set up. Um, the things that we come up with that, that are the acceptable and right way to find you, you are constantly bigger than and breaking out of any of the boundaries that we could put on you. God, I pray that we would all be... Um, that we would all be challenged by the fact that you, can, that you will use anything to reach people, which means that you will, if we're willing, use us to reach people. God, I pray that that would be uh, exciting and challenging and that we would have the courage 
to reflect your light to the people around us. We love you, God. Amen.